Welcome to Stories of Recovery, a MAR Recovery Resources production from MAR Addiction Treatment Centers located here in Atlanta. I'm your host, Matt Shebb. How does someone go from trying to sell a stolen car to an undercover police officer to becoming a county judge and eventually being licensed to practice law in front of the Supreme Court? For Jewel, it began with seemingly small things when he was here at MAR in 1986. You, you can sit in the rooms of AA or Narcotics Anonymous and they say, get honest with yourself. But if you don't know how to do it, you know, it's bewildering. In my humble case, being exposed to, you know, how to confront and ha- how to deal with issues head on. On that level, I was cowardly. And, I, and that's embarrassing to be scared to do it and not want nobody to know. That's dangerous. You know what I'm saying? So I learned how to deal with that by, you know, here. I don't know. It would have taken forever out there in the cold crew world, even in an AA meeting. He also tells us about how the loving support of the counseling staff created a safe environment for him to learn how to behave differently. And if you haven't already purchased them yet, this year's Mar Celebration of Recovery Banquet tickets are now on sale for our event on November 12th. All you have to do is visit www.marinc.com. Dot org slash banquet, and you can purchase your tickets now. The event is going to be held at the Cobb Galleria here in Atlanta. This year's speaker is going to be Mar alumnus Robert Bell. He's a great speaker, and you'll get an opportunity to reunite and meet new members of the Mar community, which includes alumni, family members, volunteers, and staff. It's going to be a great time. All right, that's enough for me. Here's Jewel. I had... Uh been in the corporate world. I had been freebasing cocaine and uh, I had been just messing up at work. So I quit work before they could fire me. And uh, they sent a severance check. I put the severance check in the bank. I tried to act like the big hero with all our trailing bills with my wife. I wrote her a check. But I proceeded to, proceeded to tilly it all out buying dope before she could pay the bills with it. And when she started paying the bills, the checks started bouncing everywhere like like Pac-Man. And uh, it was very, very crazy. Things were completely out of whack, you know. And uh, uh, I, was, I was sitting in this club drowning my sorrows in 50-cent beer and... Uh, this guy had this brilliant idea to sell one of his courier, one of the courier vans. He he had the keys to one courier van, and he could turn his courier van in, and he could take one, and they wouldn't know it was him that took it. And I had a place where it could be sold. I'm an adjuster. I get rid of salvage all the time, right? So it was kind of it was kind of intricate, you know. The body shop was right here in Doraville, and uh, we came up here to bring the uh, stolen van, and uh, we in fact sold it to the police, the undercover cops. They got it on the got it on the body shop. Um he had a habit. They had caught him doing something. He just flipped on us. I look back at that time, Matt, I that day that I was going to jail, I'm like, my mama them didn't send me out the house. I had been in a three piece suit for three days. Cause I had been binging, right? And I was sitting in the back of that patrol car going to jail, and I was like, my mama them did not send me out the house to end up like this. I still didn't have a clue, right? And uh, 
So I got charged with violation of the Georgia Controlled Substance Act, death by receiving, those two things. And those were the ugliest things I could, I couldn't even stand to look at them. Uh, I came over here, uh, we had apartments up on Buford Highway. I didn't, I didn't know where I was going. And they had apartments over off of Briarcliff, you know. And then finally, uh, I think this gentleman named Boyd Whaley was our, our guy our, you know, resident guy, right? Boyd was our resident guy. And Boyd, Boyd was, you know, Boyd was uh, a mild version of Yosemite Sam. He had he had uh, died and came back as a treatment counselor, right? And he cut his beard down and he got a haircut and he threw away his hat. And now, now Yosemite Sam goes to church every Sunday and he's trying to change his ways. And this is his new job to take care of us, right? And he was, he was committed to taking care of us, but he always looked bigger than life in a weird sort of way to me, right? But uh, but Boyd uh, and we we loved him and hated him at the same time, not because he deserved to be hated, but because he was in charge, and we had to all of us addicts had had to rebel against something and. But and he's Boyd, there to keep the structure, which is so important. He did it. Yeah. Unbeknownst but, to us, right. he did it. You right. know, he, 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 and uh, he was like a mom and a dad all wrapped in one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And because uh, you could tell he loved us. It was no doubt in my mind that Boyd loved us. He wanted us to succeed. And uh, I'll never forget Boyd. I, I, I always come look, he's like a first grade teacher, right? <laughs> Because he did, and now we had the contract, and he always kept kept referring to the contract and what could get you kicked out and what could get you put on probation and stuff like that. And uh, we had to do, uh, and Boyd seemed to be most animated when we did the spiritual stuff. He seemed to, you know, him him and to a certain extent, Mister Brush. We get into the nuts and bolts of what happened at Mar. You know, we get challenged. You know, you, you know, we had to had to clean the bathroom. Yeah, let's talk some about that. And and oh. also Doug Brush. I want to hear you. Your the first time you interacted with Doug. And I, what your... I, I don't re- remember him and Donnie Brown. Him and Donnie Brown. You know, I was when I was parking and coming around to come in. I was like, you know, this is like the mafia. You can't ever get away from this stuff. <laughs> And Donnie Brown and Doug were like the Dons, you know. And uh, 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 Donnie, Donnie, uh, Donnie Brown was like the big godfather in recovery. And you know, if you if you if you in a group with him, somebody done did something wrong. We finna straighten whatever that is psychologically wrong with you. Donnie gonna come stick his hand in your waist and pull the bullet out, right? Without without any anesthesia, you know, and, uh, <laughs> was uh, that scary? Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, it was scary in a way. I mean, you know, I'm sitting here now, I'll kick back and you know, coffee and all of that, like you know, I could handle it. But all of that stuff was the first time it was happening. Some of these guys will see it and they'll tell you if they hear this, they'll they'll identify with it. But no, man, all this was brand new. I had never confronted myself before. Much less have you confront me, and I I can't you know, it's it's when Donnie Brown came, it's almost like uh, he's got a search warrant and he knows where the goods are, you know what I'm saying? You can't stop him from looking, you know what I'm saying? 
And uh, I remember uh, uh, me and my wife, I, and I got married about a year before I came to recovery. And 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 actually, I think coming to Mar kind of saved the marriage, right? So we were sitting across the table, me and my wife, one day, and Donnie Brown just like, "All right, Jill, you wanna you willing to admit to your wife how many times you've been unfaithful to her?" And I just simply said, "No, sir." <laughs> And he looked at her, do you want him to tell you? And she said, no, sir. <laughs> you know, so, but he went right for the jugular. Yeah. You know, that's just an example. That's right. a real example, right? right. And uh, Donnie's been always, I mean, and Doug has always been like the perennial friend. I mean, from the very first day I met uh, Doug Brush, he was like, I'm your friend. Nothing you'll be able to do about it. And this decades later, and it's the same thing. I see Doug, I hear Doug's name. I just know that that's an ally in the, in the deal right there. He ain't gone. And uh, I had never really, uh, Doug had never been, uh, I sit in group with him, and he's very wily in group. He's very good in group. You know what I'm saying? I love to sit with him in group. Uh but Donnie was point on, you know. Uh, he would go right for the jugular, and you'd have to deal with it. But uh, during that first 90 days, uh, all those people came into my life. Uh, and in the house, the house, we had this rotation on doing all the chores. And uh, the guy that was in front of me didn't ever do his chores. And I would always end up, felt to me like I was doing two chores. You know, I always had this thing about getting put out because of my my own personal history. I did not want to get put out of anything because it was just, you know, we got put out of grandmama's house. I did not want that to happen to me again. It worked, and it worked positive and negative, you know what I'm saying? Positive is I'm not going to let y'all put me out of here. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to, you know, let y'all put me out of college. I'm not going to get put out of law school. I'm not going to get none of that. You know what I'm saying? That's that, that's the kind of like inverse kind of positivity on it. Uh, but when I was at Mar and, and, and learning what it was about, uh, it was like a it was like PTSD. You know, anything that had to do with getting put out was like, oh, shit. God, please, you know, excuse my language. I think I oh, messed no, that's up the right. interview. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> I'm doing pretty good, right? And, uh, 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 so, so you know, I, I, you know, I was in this quandary. This guy ain't cleaning up behind himself, and I don't want to, you know, you know, it's fight or flight, right? I want to kick his butt and get put out, and I don't know how to. I had learned how to say, look, man, you got to do your job. I didn't know how to do that. Yeah. Right? So one of the residents got word that I was having a trouble with that. Boyd is there and, you know, uh, you know, everybody's in the room and Boyd is like, you know, having this, you know, count the cattle kind of thing. And he's Yosemite, right? So it's, a, it's we all at the ranch and he's, 
And uh, so had you lashed out at the guy? Or no, something? I hadn't done nothing. Okay, I didn't know how. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. only thing I would have did was fight, right? Yeah, so right. I didn't know how to do. I didn't want to get put out. So right, I'm tripping now. It's like I leave, uh-huh. and that's that's dangerous to me, right? When they brought it to a head, I mm. was able to sit across from the across the table and gnash my teeth and scream about it. But up until then, it was just in, mm-hmm. and somebody in the family peeped it right somebody saw something that was therapeutically out of whack right and he had been there long enough you know he'd been there a minute you know he knew what was going on he had some time on us and he'd have been through enough of them trials that's what i'm calling him right and uh uh so he peeped it he saw something was wrong and he it was an issue they didn't even know what was wrong nobody knew Except me and the guy who wasn't doing his job, you know. But neither one of us, you know, he was he was taking advantage of me because I wasn't saying nothing. And I was, like, enabling him because I didn't know how to say nothing. Right, right. right. So. Uh, and that still happens where they do those community meetings. Yeah, when yeah, something, yeah. They, so they, what was that like for you in that moment, having to sit there and talk it well, out? I was, I, was, uh, I was glad. Yeah. I didn't know I was glad. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, because I ended up, you know, letting my rage and all my resentments out in the meeting. You know, I was angry. I was, everything that was pent up yeah. came out in the meeting. And everything in him about his reticence to do what he had to do, his defense of it had to come out in the meeting. Uh. And Boyd was right there looking. What was that like for you? What were the feeling to to have that all be out there so vulnerably in front of all the guys you're living with? And well, it it wasn't so much that I was embarrassed about that. Uh-huh. I just didn't know how to do it. I see. I see. Right. Yeah. Because I, you know, and what was comforting was like when we did start to let the spew out. Boyd was there. Mm-hmm. Like mama or daddy, some some kind of security blanket for both of us, not just me, for both of us. Yeah. He was there, you know, and uh, and not only that, to have your peers knowing what's real, mm. right? Knowing what's up. You know, I, you know, the rules say you're supposed to do this, and he's saying you ain't doing it. So they got on him. They got on me for like, you don't supposed to keep quiet this long. You could kill yourself. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, and uh, and uh, and uh, we resolved. As a matter of fact, we resolved all the way to the point where, although he wasn't from Georgia, and uh, you know, our lifestyles completely different. Uh, first, we got to a level of mutual respect, very high quality mutual respect. And then we got we got to to the level where we could be friends, but ninety days wasn't long enough for us to do it while we we're at Mar. It dawned on me that uh, I shared one day that step two is the introduction to recovery. Step one is the uh, step one is the acceptance of the problem. And step two is the introduction to the solution. And uh, it says that. Uh, we came to believe that a power grid in ourselves could restore us to sanity. Sanity? What? It don't say nothing about it. stop us from drinking, da-da-da-da-da. It says right. sanity. 
I said, look up sanity, right? And sanity has to do with sound thinking. And sound and thinking is where all of this crap starts. <laughs> you know, you know, all these, you know, see what had happened was moments, right? <laughs> you know, I thought it was a good idea at the time. Well, you know, it might be, I might could get my money back if I sell a stolen van to the police. Come on. <laughs> you know, I mean, thinking is what is what gets us screwed up. You know, they don't have they only have one one solution for not using. Just don't use. Mm-hmm. But what you gonna do after that? And like I was telling you, uh in my in my uh story, I was like, I'm not you know, I went to school for two years and didn't use. I just didn't know why. I shouldn't do it. But my behavior, regardless of my ignorance about what was wrong, my behavior not behaving so as to end up in the library as opposed to leaving and going outside smoking with the with the guys all that kind of stuff I became a monk man mm-hmm. and uh but but I was behaving so as to not end up drunk right I just didn't know what to do with it yeah and uh uh once I started being able to link my behavior even with the confrontation about the cleaning up, right? I was about to escape that environment. My my thinking was, this is what I ought to do. My thinking, leave here, and I won't be worried about the frustration of watching this guy make me do his chores. You know what I'm saying? That's too extreme a solution. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? For mm-hmm. what I got, I can't just jump out the hospital window and leave with a broken leg. You know what I'm saying? I can't. But that's what you're thinking gonna do. Mm-hmm. You know. And uh, and so, so going back to the confrontational room, we were talking about his behavior, right? His behavior. Now, the other extreme would have been everybody would have seen he was cheating. We would have got on him. He wouldn't have accepted it. Then he would have got put out, and then he would have never came back. Me, I was going to escape and leave because you know I can't go through. I can't. I can't do this to. I don't know what to do, and and the easiest thing for me is what I know to do, and that is just leave. And then I'll be in all this spiritual pain, and the only way to treat that is with some medication. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, when I was in the confrontation about the chores, right, I learned how to address the issue. At the same time, I'm going to meetings. I got a sponsor, you know. Not, you know, I didn't. I didn't have, you know, neither one of us. My sponsor only had three years mm-hmm. <laughs> when I got here, right? So we weren't great gurus in recovery. We were just doing what the following the instructions. You know what I'm saying? And uh, uh, we just learned, you know, over time as as. Uh, as uh, you gain the benefits of not leaving, what happens if you stay, right? Mm-hmm. You gain benefits because you don't leave. And you gain benefits you don't even know you have. You don't even know you're entitled to them. You just show up one day and there's a nice, wonderful fruit of success waiting for you. And you didn't even know it was growing. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So uh, uh, that kind of stuff is the meat of how you begin to modify your behavior. I think the 90 days that I stayed in Mar, they didn't change my behavior to the point where I could exist on the 90 days that I stayed. 
but it gave me a serious foundation to work with. Mm. It, it showed me how to uh, manage, you know, manage crisis. It showed me how to assess myself honestly. You know, I mean, you you can sit in the rooms of AA or Narcotics Anonymous and they say, get honest with yourself. But if you don't know how to do it, you know, it's bewildering. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I, and I've seen very many examples of it. You know, I got some new guys right now that just don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? They want to do it. They ain't scared to do it. They just don't know what it means. And a lot of a lot of a lot of that is just finding examples of how it looks so they can mimic, you mm. know, success. Right. You know, uh, and you only get that if you you get. In my humble case, uh, being exposed to you know, how to confront and ha- how to deal with issues head on. I, you know, I was, on that level, I was cowardly. And I, and that's embarrassing to be scared to do it and not want nobody to know. That's dangerous. You know what I'm saying? So I learned how to deal with that by, you know, here. I don't, it would have taken forever out there in the cold crew world, right. even in an AA meeting. You know, right. people laugh at you in AA meetings if you, if you look like you ain't getting it, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so uh, and I learned how to, like that uh, Doug Brush and that uh, Boyd Whaley and Donnie Brown, they were, the, 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 three in, the three things that they had in common was that they loved us. And, you know, wasn't nothing we could do about it. And whatever form or shape that took, that's how the love was coming. Mm. You know, we ain't trying to destroy you. We're trying to help you. And I learned that, you know, you could have some pretty painful times, but it's out of love. You know, they we are really reconstructing some stuff here, you know. And I'm, I'm, I'm blurring the lines on Donnie, Doug, and and Boyd, but they're like loving parents, so to speak. And they would die. They would shoot me if they heard me saying they were parents <laughs> to somebody and that that's some of these clients. But, you know, I look back, man, and, and a lot of the stuff that your folks would do that we weren't paying any attention to them trying to do, mm-hmm. get done, and we still ain't paying any attention to them trying to do it. We, now we got this this bigger issue, this substance abuse issue that's brought all these dire consequences and dire negative potentialities, you know, that we now we have to finally stop bailing water out of the boat. You know what I'm saying? And it ain't because, you know, I want to bail water out of the boat. Well, it's like if I don't, we're going to sink. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. And uh, then eventually you learn the skill of how to bail water out of a boat, mm-hmm. you know, and the next time you need it, it's not a big deal, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and that's what kind of like happened at Mar, you know. It kind of like right sized my uh, my uh, my attitude about learning new survival skills. Right. Yeah. And even though the names and faces change, that I think the commitment is still there. Yeah. Like when the- I when I came today, every time I come. Things have changed. Yeah. You know, and uh, when Chris came out the door, it was a different face. Yeah. But the same spirit. Oh, wow. That's awesome. You know, I just, hey, what's up, Chris? Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're here, you, you got you got some, some right-size spiritual centering somewhere. 
You know, you got to really love a person with that suffers from our kind of disease. The first place you go is love. You can't, you can't come with anything. We're too sensitive. We're too hypersensitive to the game, to some kind of trick. This might be some kind of trick you're putting me through. And if, if I smell it, I'm gone. Right. And the only thing that doesn't have any smell is love. So, yeah, so do you think that's what it is about? What What is it that, because I was going to ask you, what is it about Mar that provided you the safe structure that you needed? Like, for people that are listening and, you know, well, maybe I'm going to send my loved one to Mar, maybe I'm going to go to Mar. What would you say it is about Mar that was special for you? Well, you, you're getting somebody who had no clue what any of this is, right? No clue. What any of this is like about. recovery or none, yeah. no clue at all. I don't know what this is, and uh, at the same time, uh, I've got a lot of experience with people coming with the game. I'm out of the hood, right? So everybody got some game for you. Meaning, they trying to take your money, not give you nothing back for it. So when I when I was exposed to Mar, going all the way back to the gatehouse, right? Uh, there never there never seemed to be anything. The impression I got, right? Because I'm looking for the hook and all of that, you know. You know, uh, there never seemed to be anything more important than my welfare. That's number one. I couldn't find the hook on my way to get to bed, on my way to to my first trial, right? I, I couldn't find any of that, right? And uh, and then uh, uh, notwithstanding the clientele, because you, you get what you get with the clientele, right? But the staff and, and the three major staff members to me, I already named them, were Boyd, Doug, and Donnie, right? And at some point in time, you're going to be exposed to whoever has those positions now, you're going to get exposed to them. And the one common ingredient, I think I said this a few minutes ago, between all three of them was that they were just dripping with love. And some, you couldn't even tell because, you know, we don't know how love, you know. I mean, I was raised in a loving family, and I, I couldn't tell you what love looked like if I saw it. I just know how it, it feels what happens when they're doing it to you. And most of the time I got love to my family, it wasn't cool. I mean, I was getting my beat, my butt beat or you know, getting drugged to Sunday school by the ear or being told I can't play marbles until I do my homework. or And that's at the house, you know. So for me, I had a little exposure to, you know, what love acted like, not necessarily felt like, what it acted like, what it did to me, you know. But back to this thing about this this one thing that's here that I think is here. I might not be, you know, right because y'all here every day. I'm just visiting today. The one thing that I uh, I find that's here is love. I can't come up with no smoother kind of way yeah. to say it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, you know, I might scare somebody off because they don't want to have none or uh-huh. draw the wrong kind of people because they want to steal it and not pay for it, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, love is, is – uh, and, you know, we got some guys out there in the world. Uh, we got some guys out there in the world 
Mar alumni, we we just brothers. You know, we know each other gonna be all right. Ain't trying to you know treat each other or nothing like that. We just know if you successfully got through here, you did your ninety days or you did your you know your supplemental stuff with the three quarter way house and all that. You know how to take care of yourself. Mm. You know, and uh, that's that's what I know. I know how to take care of myself. I'm not gonna you know put myself through. And it's not so much using anymore. It's just emo- emotional turmoil, you know. Yeah. With helping a guy find his way back to being, you know, useful to himself, you know. Yeah. Uh, all of the nuts and bolts of that are here. Mm. You know, it's not. It's not like the advanced course. You know, it's like boot camp. Yeah. You know, emotional spiritual boot camp, and uh, I think it's necessary. It's a necessary juncture, I don't, and it's not a requirement that you survive with, but if you're going to try to survive, you need to pick up some of these skills. In this next section, we're going to talk about how Jewel started his career as a lawyer after Mar. He actually had taken the LSAT when he was in his addiction, but had fallen asleep during the test. So he started down the path of becoming a lawyer as a way of making amends to himself. And uh, by now I'm married several years. Uh, you know, it's, you know, I got too many responsibilities to go full time in a law school. And uh, said, so "You ain't going anyway. Just apply." My sponsor had me apply, and uh, I got a, I got accepted to Northwestern up in up in up in Illinois. I got accepted uh, into Lane. University Law School down in Louisiana. That terrified me because that was down there by Mardi Gras. I don't know if I could handle it right. And then I got accepted by a little night law school here in Atlanta. And uh, I went to the little night law school here in Atlanta, paid my way, you know, $50 a credit hour for three years. And uh, I graduated. And um, right right towards the end of... uh, the first bar bar review, bar review is a postgraduate course you take to prepare for the bar exam, right? And uh, my uh, my little experience with the uh, stolen van came up, and the bar wanted to know about it. And uh, you know some of the same kind of professional issues you get here at Mar. You know, mm-hmm. I hired a lawyer who had worked for the bar, she told me to just tell them the truth. And I had experience with that by now. I wasn't afraid of that. I could just tell them what what happened, you know. I wasn't afraid. I wasn't embarrassed by my behavior anymore. Just be honest with them about it. And she told me they already know anyway. That's the Supreme Court. And we were laughing and joking for the end of the meeting, right? I told them what was happening. I didn't, it's like pulling off a Band-Aid. You don't even feel it's gone, right? And uh, I left there. And I didn't know what they were going to do because all I could focus on was that lady looking over her glasses like, you ain't going to never be a lawyer, you know. And uh, I left there, and uh, when we come back, the letter from the state bar had been mailed the same day that said you can take the bar. On the morning that uh, the results came back, I had uh, went to play golf uh, with one of my friends. We went and played nine holes because by the end of it, it's like, 
excruciating. Yeah. Waiting on the results, right? And I've learned since then it's just as excruciating waiting on a verdict. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? I got a I got a judge that's gonna that's taking a motion under advisement Thursday. She ain't said nothing yet, right? At least they come quicker. But anyway, um we come home and my wife and somebody who was comforting her because I guess I was driving her crazy with my anticipation of the results too, right? They're standing in the door with the envelope. And I learned from my classmates that you can tell whether you pass by the size of the envelope. A thick envelope means you got to do it over again because they give you all the paperwork to reapply. And a thin envelope means Uh you passed. And she had what I thought was kind of thin envelope, right? And my score was uh, 71. That means I passed the bar by one point. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) 70, you got to do it all over again, right? (laughs) So you couldn't have, if you got one point less. I would have been able, I would have had to do it. I would have been crushed. Yeah. My tender, my little delicate personality, I would have been crushed, right? So I tell everybody that's God's point. I did the best I could do. You're like, nah, Jewel, here. (laughs) Give you one extra. (laughs) Just take this one, man. Get on out of it. So that's how I got uh, got to be a practitioner of the law. Um, I passed the bar by a point. And it all started out with me making amends to myself. It didn't even start out with me wanting to be a lawyer. Right. You know. uh, Well, do you have one thing you would like to pass on? to people who are listening? Well, you know, without sounding too much like a commercial, this this particular organization uh, helped me change my life right when I needed the help. And, uh, you know, uh, Matt's been offering me all these gifts of you know, all these expressions of gratitude. I'm the one that should be expressing gratitude to this organization, you know, for really, really saving me. I could have, my grandmama used to always say when I was a kid that, uh, boy, you know, God love you just enough to let you take your, take your life to hell in a handbasket. He gonna let you do it too, if you don't change your ways. And I didn't realize what she was saying until well into this. And uh, I got to not take my life to hell in a handbasket, due in large part to the help of this organization. So there you go, Matt. That's a great note to end on. Well, I know you told me not to say it, but I'm going to say it one more time. Thank you, Jewel. It's a pleasure sitting with you. Okay, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to let me say it? (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) All right, that's it for this episode of Stories of Recovery. We didn't even have time on this episode to get into how Jewel eventually became licensed to practice before the Supreme Court and became a judge. Maybe we'll have him back sometime to talk more about that. Thank you, Jewel, so much for sharing your story with us. The executive producer for this show is David Tate, and our theme song is performed by Jordan Detweiler. I'm Matt Shedd. Thanks to everybody listening for keeping this community strong and vibrant. We really appreciate you joining us. And we're already looking forward to next time.